0: So why why am I telling you this story? This is this is really interesting, okay? Padilla is the very first Christian martyr in what is now the United States. So so this happened in Rice County, where all these petroglyphs and things are, and there's kind of a there, there's a connection here that's coming up. But he was the very first Christian martyr in what we call the United States. And what's really interesting is just on the west side of town, the Knights of Columbus have. They've uh, erected, they in the 50s erected a giant cross that commemorates him because that was the first place that a, a cross was placed by Father Padilla, in, according to, to legend. And that happened 70 years before the pilgrims came to the New World. So he was actually the first missionary to the area and the first martyr before the pilgrims even came. And so this is what's really important. This, hap- this, this He's commemorated and known as putting up the first cross and being killed just to the west of Lyons, Kansas. Okay. Just to the right of Lyons, Kansas is this, our serpent mound. Ooh. Or no, just to the east of Lyons, <laughs> Kansas is our serpent mound. So on the west side of Lyons was the first cross in the area. On the east side is the serpent.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Wow! Okay. Wow! Yeah,
0: which is just like yeah, mind blowing.
2: So on the nose, right? <laughs> the, the cross versus the serpent. Welcome to this week's edition of the Sword and Staff. I'm one of your hosts, Josh Robinson. And joining me today, as always, is my co-host. Sketchy Richie. And on today's edition of the Sword and Staff, we have a special guest joining us today. One of our longtime patrons, Coleman. Go ahead and introduce yourself to the Sword and Staff multiverse.
0: Well, hey everybody. Uh, Coleman Barber, if you've been in the Discord, you definitely know who I am. Um, (laughs) You know know who he is.
1: We, I pretty much uh, mention him every week, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah,
0: my, my, uh, my brother-in-law joined recently and he goes, man, I can tell you have a desk job. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah. Um, so I live around the Kansas city area, live in Bonner Springs, Kansas, specifically. I'm one of the elders at our church, proclaimed church in Bonner Springs. Um, I go by footstooled on Twitter and I make Well, I say I design things there, but, (laughs) um, and then, you know, do post mill things there. So there I got all my, I got all my references out there that everybody's expecting to hear. Yeah. So, So, so we can just keep going. I'm also a purveyor of cool garage sale maps, as you can see Yes. behind me. If, if you're seeing this on video, um, and I like to think of myself as a meme connoisseur
2: um i
1: was gonna say a connoisseur of shrooms but okay oh we'll do, we'll do that
0: oh man well that reminds me um i must dash richie a question oh here we go <laughs> yeah you got the dad joke here too yeah. yeah um when's when's the the full-on mustache coming back
2: absolutely man. never it's gone and, it's so, it's and gone. so it's so it's so sad people want it the people want it that's right. It, they just can't have it. And so it's just, it's kind of sad. This has never been a democracy. <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, but the thing that I love about it, it is forever memorialized in episode five of Dark Holler. Oh, it is God, forever it really memorialized. really is. And, and thousands upon thousands of people only know Mustache Richie. That's not even, I'm, my, I'm, he's not even Richie. That's right. I'm
1: terrified. That's now. Now.
2: Slick Rick. Oh, that's my who gosh. That is. That's the name that Travis, one of our elder candidates. I didn't gave. even
1: think I didn't even think about it when we were filming that in this living uh, room. Like uh, and then to see it played back in Dark Holler, I was like, wow. That's where all like, the no. stills
2: came from that people see it. comes from episode five <laughs> yeah. of Dark Holler. So it is forever memorialized that that's Slick right. Rick was in the house. That mustache was born out of a shaving mistake. <laughs> and-
0: hey, we've all done that. We've all done that.
1: So I was like, oh, okay,
2: (laughs) this is this is how it is now. I I thought it was I thought it was fitting. It it was not intentional. (laughs) All right. Well, Mm -hmm. on today's edition, um, Coleman is going to be joining us for a conversation. And I'm just going to be 100 percent honest with everybody. I've seen a lot of conversation happening between him and Richie. I was in the group, but (laughs) I purposely did not engage in it or look at it because I wanted whatever it is that we're talking about today to be fresh, and I wanted my reactions to be authentic to it. So I'm not real quite sure what we're talking about today, but uh, Coleman, I'll. I am okay. I'll let you guys kind of talk about what we are going to be discussing today, Richie Coleman. You guys take it. I think it's just. I I think I'll be good and just let
1: coleman lay it out because (laughs) i mean i have an idea of what we're talking about but something tells me it's not quite what he means by well we'll see what he's bringing up yeah yeah let's
0: yeah well i've intentionally held some back i don't want to give too much um, because i've got a few things up my sleeve here so okay um i guess i can kind of start out and talk about how yeah i even got involved in the world of the sword and staff and the sketchiness and all of that it's Um, dangerous to put
1: me on the spot with surprise (laughs) content like
2: this like you don't know what i'm going to say that's uh,
0: true that's true
2: yeah but go ahead go ahead and tell people how you how you kind of ended up in the sword and staff multiverse yeah so
0: i it was kind of by accident i think as most people are um i was introduced to kind of the whole divine council worldview To begin with through another podcast is the theology podcast i think they're friends for most of us um and they did an episode on unseen realm by Heiser, Mm -hmm. and that was kind of the first thing that really piqued my interest i was in another facebook group about that podcast and joey posted a link on facebook to you guys and i started listening to sword and staff um, started getting really interested in that listened to some lord of the spirits as well Mm-hmm. um listen to heiser's naked bible podcast so kind of all these different podcasts within modern day christendom that are trying to rediscover or recover some of these more enchanted worldviews mm-hmm. um and then i started doing some of my own research i read spina scripture by non which is a really good protestant it's more reformed and covenantal take on divine council worldviews which is like just a really sorely lacking space right now yeah um it's pretty concise so all those different things kind of came together uh, for me just really fleshing all that out and i'm still fleshing all that out um so this is this is still kind of new territory for me so i may say things that aren't true um (laughs) but i will tell you what i found um so as i was As I was, you know, in the Discord, and you know, you guys discovered your Serpent Mound and things like that that had been lost. Um, You know, we've all been talking about Graham Hancock and Ancient Apocalypse and all these different things, kind of interconnectedness of things. I was like, man, we don't have anything in Kansas. We don't have hills. Like, I mean, we have hills, but we don't have mountains. We don't have anything cool like that. Um, And then I was like, well, I actually don't know that. Mm. And so I decided. I'm just going to look up serpent mound in Kansas. Well, we don't have mounds cause we don't have hills. Mm. Um, but I did find that we have a bunch of petroglyphs all over the place. Ooh. Um, well, kind of all over the place, but we've got a bunch of old native American petroglyphs. Um, we have a serpent effigy I found. And so through the sleuthing of the sword and staff multiverse and, you know, internet research and, couple of library books and things like that. I was able to find some things. So what I wanted to do was kind of tell you a little bit of the story of our, you know, ancient history here in Kansas with the native Americans, what we have here, how that may or may not be connected to you all. um, And then, you know, some, some cool gospel connections as well. So.
2: Yeah. Sounds, sounds like, yeah, that's fine to me.
0: That's, that's really what I want to talk about. So, so, uh, I found a book. It's called Petroglyphs of the Kansas Smoky Hills, um, which get their name because of some of the different geological structures that are around there. Some of the climate things that are happening, some of the things that are happening with water around there. And so for a large portion of the year, it'll actually look like smoke is rising from these hills. Um, and so that's how we get the name Smoky Hills. Um, but most of our petroglyphs and most of our stuff is found there. And I have a little map here. I'll show you all. Okay. All right. So this is, this is Kansas.
1: He's waited his whole life, life to do that. Yeah, yeah, I have. I waited my whole though. life
0: to do that. You yeah. know, and if that, and it's just <laughs> glorious, right? It is. Um, <laughs> so I'm I live it. back over here. Okay. Where you can see where that hand is mm-hmm. um, and kind of up there-ish. But this he is lives several in hours part of away. of the
1: square, of the rectangle. That's right. Yeah.
0: That's okay. right. So, well, in the larger Kansas map that's up here. Yeah. So, for people who are just listening, I live on the very far east edge of Kansas, right next to Missouri. And all of these petroglyphs are found right smack in the middle of kansas and that's actually pretty important so Hmm. there's on this map you can see there's like a darkened portion and that's a huge area of um sandstone and so there's this huge sandstone deposit that's right in the middle of kansas and that's why we actually have these petroglyphs that's how they can they can even be made because normally things are too too rough to be able to to carve anything into and that sort of thing so yeah I'll go back over here. Um, Got all kinds of different petroglyphs of various forms, some of which we'll leave unnamed. Um, We've got common things like geometric geometric figures.
2: Okay, geometric figures. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's geometric figures. And, you know, there's typical... We'll phrase it this way for Richie. We'll go halfway. There's, you know, typical fertility forms that... There you that go. you see in those, we'll, I'm we'll, all right. With
1: we'll name that. it that way. Yeah, <laughs> I'm fully appeased with that. We're good. Okay, good.
0: There we go. So there's there's fertility things. Um, there's geometric figures. You've got animals, some of which are you know normal animals you'd see, some of which are animals that don't appear in nature. Surprise, surprise. Hmm. Um, you got anthropomorphs, which is like human style figures. What's really interesting is there's these petroglyphs that are just from all over our history and they're just kind of on top of each other because there wasn't a lot of places to do these right and so you've got some that are real old and they're basic stick figures and they've got you know spears and things like that and then you have some that are a little newer and they've got like european soldiers with with you know the the mm-hmm. like metal hats and things like that, um, the helmets.
2: So some that the of them are, are. Would have so some of them are probably uh, so some of them are probably older, and then some of them are, are contact era petroglyphs.
0: Right. Okay. Exactly. So it's really really difficult because Kansas is pretty flat, mm-hmm. and there's so limited amounts of space to do these things. Um, things get weathered pretty quickly, and it's really really difficult to date anything in kansas right so they have really no idea how old these things are Hmm. um and a lot of the the science and things that goes around those really you know debatable
1: Mm -hmm. there's a
0: lot of just unknowns and so i you know part of this was me trying to figure out what what can we know and what might what might be going on there so um what's really important about them though and this kind of gets into some of our, some of the things that you guys have talked about. Some of the things that we understand from a more enchanted worldview is the context of these things, and then particularly the the space of where they are. Um, they're not just randomly scattered. Um, typically, they're associated with specific features. Um, Particularly, caves, rock shelters, and then finally, and this is most importantly, I think, water. yeah um, and water just seems to be this theme that comes up all over the place. And so, you know i don't I don't know what's going on at your serpent mound. I know some of what Graham Hancock was saying is like, you know, most of these pyramids and things, they're built over, you know, mystic springs and things like that. yeah, um, but that seems to be a common theme uh, it and, is
2: a hugely common theme, yeah, yeah, with all of this stuff um, with our with our serpent mound, it is uh, from what we understand, it is a naturally anomalous area, <laughs> um, like Graham Hancock points that out like with a lot of these places, like um so for example, with the serpent ma- mound in Adams County, Ohio, it's sitting literally on an impact crater, <clears> right, <throat> and because of that, it has a lot of. Uh, geomagnetic anomalies it has a lot of gravi- gravitational anomalies there are <clears throat> there's like rivers of water that flow beneath it caverns void areas underneath it and in our serpent mound here in Logan County it's very similar so there's actually a, a map and we've talked about this before that you can go out yep. there and get it's like put out by the US uh, I think it's US government it's like the US Geological <clears throat> Survey yeah something like that <clears throat> and um that area where that mound is situated falls heavily on uh, on the spectrum of gravitational anomalies. Hmm. And um, it's, it's, uh, it's really, really interesting. And there's a, a even a naturally occurring anomaly there. That's a huge part of the story of the mound, especially with locals for the people who know about it. And that is that that, that side of the mountain where that mound is located is apparently infested with rattlesnakes. I don't know really yeah so I don't know if we've talked about that until this episode like when we started
1: diving into the serpent mound everybody would bring up the the unusual amount of rattlesnakes up there like like oh yeah there's world class world record holding rattlesnakes that have been found up there like it's a Hmm. concentrated area for those kind of things and we dove into research where animals are sensitive to geomagnetic
2: anomalies and would gravitate towards these kind of things and yeah yeah so yeah there definitely seems to be and there's another there's another uh, there's a petroglyph that's that's pretty famous here in this area too and this connects back in with your your whole water theme it's called the the it's not the water panther stone that's in point Pleasant um that's the big altar stone but it is the uh the salt rock petroglyphs yeah and so if I'm not mistaken I've I've seen pictures of them I've not seen them in person they're right down the road from where Richie lives, but they're down on- Conveniently the, enough. The, yeah, conveniently enough. It's on the Guyandot River. And um, there's, if I'm not mistaken, there's two petroglyphs on these stones. And uh, one of them depicts um, Native Americans uh, throwing spears into a, a feathered water serpent. Hmm. Like literally yep. spearing, and it's down by the water. So- Yeah, that's sort of on the side I'll, I'll like, Coleman, I'll send you pictures of
1: it, but it's sort of on the side of the stone. It's, it depicts these natives with spears, like spearing this horned river serpent. And then on the top flat edge of the stone is what people here call the astronaut. Yeah. But it's a weeping shaman giant that, I mean, of course, it what, what yeah. you would expect.
2: Yeah. Yeah but you know and you can see though there's a a symbolic thread there with serpent and and water right in 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 all of the it seems to be a universal archetype across all of the ancient worldviews that the waters beneath the earth are associated with the underworld and in all of the mythologies of the world there is a common thread of there being a serpentine spiritual being who resides beneath the waters of the earth in the underworld um, shoot. I mean, that even goes back to ancient Near Eastern stuff. I mean, we even talked about this some um, mm-hmm. in the the Egyptian mythology episode that we did, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just a, 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 an occur, a commonly occurring thing that you just see all over the world. And it's fascinating to see that even there, perhaps even in some ways in, in Kansas. Like I wonder if the research we done yeah, on probably
1: the, the southern <laughs> Yeah. What is it? I wonder if the research we done on the Southern Cult extends out to Kansas. Like I know it reaches pretty far out that way, but I wonder if that's something that's out there with yeah. their serpent mound uh, imagery and things like that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure. We'd have to, to Well,
0: change. I gotta I have a story that I gotta paint for you and we might answer that question, Richie. Okay. So, <laughs> so. <laughs> this
1: picture for me. I'm here for it. Let's go.
0: <laughs> um yeah so i i'll kind of break from from where i was going because you brought up rattlesnakes which actually came up specifically in some of my research here around you know what's what's the significance of snakes and what water and how are all these things connected um so that actually came up uh the native americans who lived in this area around the times that they think that these things were created obviously we don't know all of it but there's probably some cultural similarities at least um between the different folks who are living in the area and moving through the area um but one in particular um they actually have a a shared language with uh some of the native american folks out your way um so there's a there's a language called the Cadoan language Mm. um Which was shared amongst the people here at the time that they associate these petroglyphs with, uh, called the Quivirans or the Quivira Indians. And then I think it's, I think they share the same language with Pawnee out your way. Yeah. Um, And so there's a bunch of shared mythology. That's one of the things that I learned that was fascinating me. And maybe I'm just nerding out because I'm a language guy, but um, so much of, the mythology and the culture is directly related to language and whether or not you shared it mm-hmm. um yeah and that's where all of these myths and legends and things come from and are, are shared <laughs> which makes sense because you have to have a shared language to be able to communicate those things um long story short short though as i was going through those things you know one of the one of the old um uh, myths that I stumbled upon had to do with rattlesnakes and it was like, don't step on a rattlesnake when you're out in the field, because the rattlesnake is the one who controls the water. Mm. Right. And so there's this direct link to snakes and the control of water. And, you know, there's some speculation on, well, they come from under the earth. And so, you know, people would think, well, it comes from under the earth. So it's part of the underworld. That's where the water is and all those things. Um, so there's some of that going on um but you mentioned something else as well and i don't know it's just one of those weird things where it's like oh well there's some sort of synchronicity here or something like that but i'm going to show you all a series of petroglyphs that that were in this book and um it led me down another rabbit trail as well and uh Well, I'll just pull it up and then I'll show you.
1: Okay.
0: And I'll explain it for everybody who's just listening as well. Okay. All right. So I'm going to share this one. Okay. I'm going to zoom in so you can see it. What's that look like to you? Uh,
1: It looks like a cat.
0: It's like a cat, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. But but also (laughs) at the bottom of the cat here, what should normally be there?
2: I mean, it's feet or it's tail or it's
0: tail. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you got kind of like the cat head and you have the legs represented down here.
2: Right. Yeah. It's got
1: and like then... a, a fin or a flipper or something like a, like the yeah. water. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's got,
0: yeah. it's got like water features, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, what in the world is that? And then the book, when I was reading it, it was like, Hey, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit later you know in chapter 13 so i immediately flipped to chapter 13 and started looking at the other pictures here's another one unfortunately i'll get it over here it looks almost exactly the same unfortunately and this is a big problem with uh, the petroglyphs in kansas you can see they're in pretty bad shape um that's because kansas is like 97 percent privately owned land which is great for all the libertarians out there (laughs) um (laughs) but uh you know people have kind of abused these things and so they try to keep them try to keep them under wraps so you can't see a lot of them but people actually cut out part of the bottom of this one but you can tell it's kind of finishing out in another one of these like fishtails so it's like a cat with a fishtail sort of deal
1: Mm. yeah
0: and so i think i've got one more yeah, this one's nice and clear, and you actually have a picture of his face. Yeah. So you got like a cat oh, yeah. with cat ears, you got eyes, and then you have like a fish tail oh, on it.
2: Flipper tail there.
0: That's right. And so so I started researching this and I was like, you know what what is this? And <laughs> let me find the actual excerpt
1: from the book, because I think they'll say it better. Um let's see. I got to find the exact
0: spot. I have a quote here.
2: No, you're good.
1: Okay. It says, it might be
0: tempting to interpret these as owls. Okay. So that's funny hmm. as, it, that's, as it is. Yeah. So, is which, are common, which are common in the air, uh, area and important in native culture, sometimes as messengers. However, an alternative interpretation connects these glyphs to the springs here. Hmm. A type of figure sometimes referred to as an underwater monster. An underwater spirit, or or the underwater spirit, or by other names, shows up repeatedly in petroglyphs and pictographs uh, from a range of native tribes. Um, and so this book actually supports the idea that peppered throughout all these petroglyphs, we have this water cat. And so when you guys just said... You know, there's the water panther stone out right. by you, and it's got all these mm-hmm. associations with water and snakes and all of those things. I was like, oh man, this is just like even more tightly bound than I thought. Yep. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, well, even though the water panther stone in Point Pleasant. Uh, in comparison to the salt rock petroglyphs here local in Lincoln County, like Richie's got something here pulled up on his uh, iPad. And apparently there's a lot of debate as to whether if it's actually depicting a serpent or a horned water panther. So, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah, it it, was like the, the mound builders telling a story of the great flood using the faces of the horned water panther to convey the story is, is what the article says. So yeah, horned river serpent horned, Water panther. Water panther. Same sort of iconography there. Yeah.
0: So what do you guys know about the water panther? Have you guys done any research in, into any of that or,
1: well, or the, the
0: mythologies behind the water
1: panthers? The Water sort of panther figure is something that's associated with the underworld in a lot of cultures, especially in South America and Mexico. You have these uh, cenotes and these underwater voids, these underwater canyons that the the natives there believed was home to this. Black Panther, God of the Underworld. And mm. you see the the same thing in Egypt with the, the what is that God called in
2: Egypt? The
1: uh, Black panther. Bost.
2: Yeah. Bost, like from Black the movie, Black Panther.
1: Yeah, the, oh, the, nice. the symbolism of this
2: <laughs> Good job, <Disney>. water panther, <laughs> right.
1: yeah, is found in pretty much almost every culture.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, one of the, the names given to them, uh, to one of the, the underwater Panthers is Mishu Pishu. And I mean, in like it, it apparently this uh, pick or you know, Pishu shows up in all types of places, yep. mm-hmm. uh, even going up to Lake Superior. Yeah. You know? So I mean, like this is uh, it it is a a common uh, <laughs> a common thing that that you see there. Um, now I'll say this too, um, in Point Pleasant, one of the things that's interesting. Very, very interesting. we talk about the, the whirlpool. Well, that's exactly where yeah. I was going. To, well, I was going to talk about that and I was going to talk about the actual shape of the water panther stone. Coleman, you can do a Google sh- search so you can, yeah. you can see it. Just type in water panther stone point pleasant, West Virginia. And it's at the, I can't remember what that park's called. I'll butcher its name. If it's two in the way. State yeah, Park. Yeah. I'm sure we said it wrong, but that's
1: that's what it is. Yeah. It's where Cornstalk is buried. Yeah. And the Water Panther stone, the way it's, the panther is depicted <laughs> on the stone, shows a spiral in its tail. In its tail, yeah. And they thought, the natives thought that the naturally occurring whirlpool there where the two rivers meet on, on the point. So
2: you've got the canal in the Ohio Yeah, that They, they thought it was caused by this Water Panther, and it was a portal, a doorway, like... Into the underworld. Into the underworld. And they've actually done... Um, I was looking at a paper that I think was out of Marshall University. I'd have to go back and try to find it. But they've actually done um, some archaeological um, digs there in the river on the banks Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And there has been things found in the river where it looked like that they were offering out sacrifices into the into Mm -hmm. the water. And, and that kind of thing. What's
1: well, the same thing you see in uh, South America with those cenotes, those uh, flooded caves that literally that was the place where they made their offerings yeah. to the underworld. So, I mean, hmm.
2: so um, same thing. Another interesting feature about the Water Panther stone is it's carved in the form of a, of a ziggurat. It's like a miniature ziggurat. Like a step hmm. pyramid. It's literally a step pyramid uh, and it was an oh, altar, yeah. an altar stone. And I mean, ultimately, that's what an altar is. Like an an altar is basically a miniature version of a holy... Yep, there you go. Yep, there you go. So everybody
0: who's going to watch this can actually see it. There it is. There you go. So it's... Yeah,
2: yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean...
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, there's your your ziggurat there.
2: Yeah. It's literally like a step pyramid. And um, basically, I mean, if people don't understand what the purpose of an altar is, I mean, an, an altar is basically like a, a miniature version of a holy mountain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, if you like read James Jordan, he points this out. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't just something that, you know, I've, I've made up. But um, basically what they are is they are miniature versions of the holy mountain. And on the holy mountain in the biblical worldview um, is where man interacts with God, right? Think about right. Adam, right? Adam interacts with God on the mountain, which the Garden of Eden is located um Moses receives the the covenant the the law of the covenant on the mountain um Noah, right? He receives um you know the the dominion mandate repeated to him on Mount Ararat where the ark is at and he builds an altar there on top of the mountain. So basically um you you also kind of see this in Abraham. You know, he's hanging out by the oaks of Mamre, right? These are elevated places and you see You know, there's not a temple at the time, so you see that they go and they build like stone altars. Like these are basically miniature holy mountains where God and man can interact. And this this is what this is. This is apparently a place where sacrifices were altered, uh, were were offered to, and they were apparently offered to the the water panther here on this stone that we're we're looking at. And um, one of the things that fascinates me about this stone is how this. Hmm, let me, this, this geometry, I guess is the word, mm-hmm. this kind of sacred geometry makes mm-hmm. its way here to the States, which is clearly present in the yeah. ancient Near East. I mean, this looks like a miniature ziggurat that you would find out in the ancient Near East somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, apparently there is either some sort of connection point or there's some. Uh, there's undoubtedly some kind of connection point between the the cultures there on those two different continents. But I guess the question is, is was there, uh, you know, were they literally, was there some kind of place where those people were able to come over here? Or were they, you know, just a shared ancient worldview that everybody had, you know, So uh, that's one of the questions I've been pondering a lot lately Mm -hmm. thinking about. But, yeah, the Water Panther Stone is, I think, a a fascinating uh, piece of evidence that shows that there is some kind of cultural connection here between these peoples.
0: I bet, you know, according to Graham Hancock, I bet that if we just did our best to date it, it would probably date back to just around the time of the last Ice Age. Just after watching you know <laughs> ancient yeah. apocalypse yeah. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. a joke yeah. my wife and i have about things now yeah everything's it, dated it, back to just around the last ice age
2: yeah it's just around the time of the last yeah, Ice age. That's just that's right the
1: time of the global flood but okay yeah.
0: Yeah. that's right cool well uh that makes total sense you know in in kansas we have a little bit of and there's not clear evidence of like like animal or human sacrifice in like the petroglyphs that we have, but there is evidence of some other things. So I'm going to pull up another one here and let you look at this and see if you can figure out what's going on with it. So here we've got a petroglyph. You can see there's like a big zigzag in it. Cause of course there is That's that's normal, you know, in my mind I'm going, that's gotta be a serpent, but you can see a little, little guy here. He's got his big long spear and things like that. But the reason why this picture is interesting and gives us a little bit of understanding of what was going on with these places, uh, these petroglyphs being near or around, you know, springs of water, things like that, um, that they had a purpose. They weren't just random. Um, you can see all over this picture, there's all these little pockmarks. Yeah. And Richie, you got any idea what that comes from? Enlighten me. All these little pockmarks. marks. Okay. So what would happen is the shamans would go to these places and they would, you know, do whatever ritual they were going to do, but then they would actually, you know, take a stick or sometimes if it was soft enough, their finger, whatever the case may be. And they'd like scrape out some of the stone and they would use that, um, as like pharmaceuticals. And Mm. so Mm. again, we see, you know, pharmacaea and drugs and witchcraft all wrapped up together because you know that's also this crazy universal thing that we so see you oh, know we,
1: this 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 level of sketchiness even in your neck of the woods i mean or your neck right the planes the prairie whatever it is out there you know that's right got tornadoes
2: and psychedelics it seems so. so that's right so people were using sandstone uh-huh as a means of like pharmacia yeah, yeah wow i have yeah. never heard of that until
1: today that's well, it's, it's just well, like you imparting uh intention into elements that you use in in witchcraft and magic and things like that like in wood right. stone and water things like that especially from a right. holy site like that
0: exactly so you see that kind of stuff all over the place in these in these uh petroglyphs as well so um but yeah i thought i'd show that Um, I thought that was really interesting. So all this to say there's, there's, you know, all these petroglyphs, they're clearly, they have got some sort of spiritual purpose to the people. So let me, let me move us forward in our story a little bit um, to what's actually going on here. So um, some of this, uh, let's see, we talked about the Kadoan a little bit, um, the connected by language. So the language of the cadoans was with the same language the Pawnee used and it also is related to the mound builder culture which you guys are really familiar with that's that's what's going on over your way that's what we had when we did our family trip to st louis you know st louis is built on mounds yep um the arch is built over the top of (laughs) ancient holy sites and they've got you know Birdman tablets and things like that yeah i didn't know it's called the gateway to the west um Oh, wow. That's, yeah, wow.
2: that's, yep. that's fascinating. I didn't. Yeah. Know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So mound builder culture is real heavy just to the east of us. Um, and then, you know, all up in your neck of the woods, but we don't really have mounds around here. Right. Um, and so there is this shared history and mythology through language though, um, with, as I mentioned, the Quivira people who inhabited Kansas. Um, and you know, this his archaeologist that's the word i'm looking for you know archaeologists you know they they call them like the proto-wichita or the quivira the reason we get quivira um and think it's likely the quivira people um is because there's a connection to the conquistadors in kansas hmm did you know
2: wow. that? No, no. No. I did not know that.
0: Yeah, so there's a there's a conquistador connection. So Coronado, um, the conquistador, he actually led a North American expedition. He was looking for gold, as most of them were. Right. Um, or as Richie would say, as one does.
2: As, as one uh, does. As one does. Come and out then, here looking for El Dorado. That's
0: right. <laughs> that's right. So everybody's looking for gold. Um, but they ended up running out of food, and they ended up Coming back through Kansas, um, and that's like the really, really short and skinny version of that story. But that's not the main part of the story. Um, so they ended up running into these different Native Americans. They called them the Quivirans. Um, that was right in Rice County, which is where um, most of these petroglyphs are. Um, and they described them as large over six and a half feet tall so we have real real tall people especially at that time dark-skinned and tattooed um so you know maybe there's a giant connection maybe not i'm six two i've got some native blood so so perhaps perhaps i am you know a giant i don't know so there perhaps you go.
1: coleman is 116th nephilim there you, there you go. go i love it there you go
0: but but the main thing is is traveling with coronado was father juan de padilla um,
2: that name sounds familiar to me.
0: Yeah, so so this is where the story gets really interesting. So Juan de Padilla, he ended up staying behind to do missionary work with the natives in the area. Um, and here's here's a here's a little excerpt about him. It says, soon after the Spaniards departed Padilla and the Portuguese set off in search of the country of the Grand Quivira, where the former understood there was there were innumerable souls to be saved. So Coronado was after gold. Padilla was after souls. Right. Okay. So after traveling several days, they reached a large settlement in the Quivira country. The Indians came out to receive them in battle array. Mm. When the friar, knowing their intentions, uh, told the Portuguese and his attendants to flee while he would wait there coming, uh, or he would await their coming in order that they might, vent their fury on him as the others ran. The other uh the others fled to a height within view and saw what happened to their friar. Padilla awaited their coming upon his knees, and when they arrived, he was immediately killed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So why why am I telling you this story? This is this is really interesting, okay? Um Padilla is the very first Christian martyr in what is now the United States.
2: Mm, That's why I know him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So so this happened in Rice County where all these petroglyphs and things are. And there's kind of a, there, there's a connection here that's coming up. Um, but he was the very first Christian martyr in what we call the United States. Um, and what's really interesting is just on the west side of town, the Knights of Columbus have, they've uh, erected, they in the fifties erected a giant cross. Um, that commemorates him because that was the first place that a a cross was placed by father Padilla and according to to legend um and that happened 70 years before the pilgrims came to the new world
1: Mm.
0: so he was actually the first missionary to the area and the first martyr before the pilgrims even came um and so this is what's really important this hap this this He's commemorated and known as putting up the first cross and being killed just to the west of Lyons, Kansas. Okay.
1: Just to the right of Lyons, Kansas is this, our serpent mound, or no, just to the east of Lyons, Kansas is
0: our serpent mound. So on the west side of Lyons was the first cross in the area on the east side is the serpent
2: mm, wow okay. wow yeah
0: which is just like yeah that's mind-blowing
2: so on the nose right the, the cross <laughs> versus the serpent
0: yes yeah um which is really interesting and it kind of gets into you know the whole culture because i'll show you um let me let me get the picture pulled up this is you were talking about connections yeah this is a map of the adena and the hopwell mm-hmm. and the area that they grew things but also where their holy sites were um, and you can see right here in kansas the spread stops wow. they no longer have any more temples to the west of Lyons, kansas where the cross was put
1: wow that is mind-blowing yeah and that that map right there is basically an overlay of the map for the southern cult so this sort of shared spiritual worldview that had the serpent imagery and the serpent priests and things like that they were a collective of these native beliefs and it extends that entire range that you have there so it's it's direct connections
0: yeah so so in searching to see if we had anything similar we have a serpent effigy it's not a mound Mm-hmm. Um, but there's reasons why I'll tell you about that too. Cause it's pretty fascinating. Um, you know, it, it turns out, well, actually it's, it's basically the same thing. <laughs> it's all connected. Um, but you know, here in Kansas, we put a stop to it. So you, know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <wow.
1: laughs>
0: you got to get, got to get We put that in cross
1: there. in the ground and said here, but no further, like no more. That's
0: Right. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, I thought that was really that was really cool. It was really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and just kind of you know this was, I hadn't shared this you know with anybody but my wife. Yeah, and I got this as I'm as I'm preparing all of this. I got this text from my pastor, and he's you know texting me stuff that he, texted me stuff that he had read recently, and he was reading um, on the Incarnation by Athanasius. Yep. And so I just had this realization of like, man, the serpent stopped at the cross, you know, here yeah, in Kansas. Yeah. And then, and then uh, he sends me this. I'll read this little section from Athanasius. It says, let me make sure I got the right one. Okay. Again, in former times, every place was full of the fraud of the oracles and the utterances of those at Delphi, Delphi, yep. and Dordana, and, and Boeotia. And Lycia in Libya and Egypt, and those of the Kibiri and of the Pythonus, mm-hmm. where were considered marvelous by the minds of men. But now, since Christ has been proclaimed everywhere, their madness too has ceased. And there is no one left among them to give oracles at all. Then, too, demons used to be used to deceive men's minds by taking up their abode in springs or rivers. Or trees or stones, and imposing upon simple people by their frauds. But now, since the divine appearing of the word, all this fantasy has ceased. For by the sign of the cross, if a man will but use it, he drives out their deceits. Again, people used to regard as gods those who are mentioned in the poets Zeus and Cronos, Apollo, and the heroes, and in worshiping them, they went astray. But now that the Savior has appeared among men, those others who have been exposed as mortal men and christ alone is recognized as true god word of god god himself and I, I just thought that was like yeah
1: like in it there is actually a <laughs> i've heard josh say several times about christ appearing and all the old gods went silent and
0: that's right
2: yeah i've talked about that and a lot of people have asked for sources and that's one of them i've actually yeah. I actually have run across that quote before and I'm glad that you brought it up tonight because I couldn't remember exactly who it was that said it and where it was at. But, um, I actually have here one that I found in the discord server that I dropped not too long ago. And this is the, the last pronouncement, um, then it fits in perfectly with what you're saying and what, what, mm-hmm. what, with, 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 what's saying, uh, is it, is it, uh, Athanasius? Athanasius? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what he says too. So basically, um, you know with the whole oracle of delphi thing you know uh the one of the, the priestess there her name was uh um you know pythia you know and basically what happened basically the whole story of the temple uh, there at, at delphi is that it was the temple to apollo and obviously he's one of the gods and you know he's one of the mm-hmm. olympians in, in greek myth but in the in the the myth he he slayed the python and took over his his former home and the priestess who was there so she was basically embodying the spirit of python Mm -hmm. you see paul talking about that or paul dealing with that in acts right he's he's being um harassed by a woman who was possessed by the spirit of python right this is in relation to this whole thing Mm -hmm. and so uh but basically what would happen is the priestess would would be possessed by the spirit of Python and would communicate for Apollo. And so, you know, across the ancient world, kings would go to Delphi and they would go to her for revelation. And this continued even on into the Roman age, you know, after Rome, you know, became the world power. Mm -hmm. And um, so in 362 A.D., this is after Constantine became the first Christian Caesar. There was a, a roman emperor who rose up after him named julian the apostate and so julian basically had apostatized from christianity and he tried to restore paganism and in particular he had tried to restore the temple at delphi and um so he sent uh one day in uh around 362 he sent a representative there to consult the oracle and this would be her loud, last pronouncement ever mm. this is the last words we have from the oracle of delphi and she says tell the emperor that my house has fallen to the ground mm. <coughs> phabos uh, phabos the, uh, the god apollo uh, no longer has his house nor his mantic bay and this, so the mantic bay is where she would become mantic and possessed by the the spirit of python mm. nor his prophetic spring the water has dried up Mm. and so it's like the old the old god that used to live there and possess (laughs) people in the mantic bay and that would possess her it was gone christ Mm. christ in the kingdom came in and well to to steal a line from here uh from you here uh he he footstooled the pagan gods there we go and and made made a, a mockery out of them and obviously this 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 connects in with the gospel and Seeing that aspect of the gospel triumphing in Kansas is are, are a are we selling post millennialism now? Because oh, it, it, yeah. fe- it feels like
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, we we absolutely are. Um but it's fascinating this bottled is, up and slap <laughs> Coleman's footstool on it. This is almost like a the secret the <laughs> secret history of Kansas that nobody knows. Yeah. Um but yeah. to see how it fits in with this this worldview, um It's fascinating because, you know, I I didn't I didn't know that about the the cross there, but I think that fits in perfectly with what we've been saying. I mean, the story of the cross driving out the serpent is all over
1: the world. You see St. Patrick coming to Ireland and driving the serpents out of Ireland. You see St. Columba literally going toe to toe with the serpent Loch Ness monster. Like there's a story of him literally Mm, rebuking the Loch Ness monster and disappearing. Yeah.
2: So. Yeah, but it's, here's yeah. the thing that I love about this. Um, we, we've been talking about these stories. I've been throwing this out there for a long time that like, hey, this isn't some idea that I came up with that the old oh, gods just stopped speaking. Like this is a historical, a historical thing that Christians have said for a very long time. But the thing that I love about the story that you're telling today, Coleman, is it shows how the places that we live participate in this same story. Right, that this story doesn't just stop over there with the gods on that continent, but mm-hmm. that this same gospel of the kingdom spread here as well. And the old gods that used to reside here also could not pass anymore. It's like Gandalf, you know, th- yeah. throwing down the staff to the Balrog saying, You shall not pass. And that's exactly what happened in Kansas whenever, you know, uh, the martyred saint there you know, put down the cross, like it's, it's just fascinating to see how our own stories here and our own histories participate in this grand cosmic story. So, yeah. What's
0: fascinating, you know, you're talking about the secret history of Kansas is I was struggling to figure out where this thing was and, you know, some folks in the discord helped me out, but I also just, I joined the, the Lions, Kansas, like community board on Facebook, uh, just, just so I could, you know, gather some information. It was like, yeah. Hey, does anybody know what this is? You would not believe the amount of people that are like, I had no idea this even existed. Oh yeah. It's like in their town, you know, like literally someone's backyard. Um, <laughs> and they, they just didn't even have an idea. They've got a museum in there. A couple of people tagged that museum. You know, there were a, a bunch of folks cause they did some, some research on it in the eighties. And then it's just basically nothing like nothing yeah. has come from it. Um, and you know, you have all these folks that are like, Oh yeah, I went on a field trip there when I was in first grade and you know, we we went and saw it and that sort of thing, but you know, everybody else just was like, I, I didn't even know this was a thing, you know. Yeah. That's really cool. Some, so
1: some interesting overlap there with mm-hmm. uh planting a cross and rebuking the serpents with it that kind of ties into Shadow Appalachia that we'll have to talk to you about sort of off the recording
0: ah um can't give away the deets huh
2: yeah (laughs) what was i was gonna say here um yeah this is this is all just it's it's fascinating to me because this is the same exact thing we've ran into with a lot of the work that we've done here is that with the serpent mound that we had nobody knew it existed like Mm -hmm. only a handful of locals knew that it existed like there's not even a historical marker like yeah, most of the
1: people it. we talked to thought we're under the impression that the coal companies just destroyed
2: it in yeah. mm-hmm. their mountaintop well, removal even, efforts and even a newspaper yeah kind of alluded to that and i actually posted in the west virginia archaeological society group which i was a paying member for by <laughs> the way and he got booted and i got booted yeah. for it and like yeah. there was people commenting on it like you shouldn't post pictures of this because it'll just cause people to go find yeah. it. And I'm like, well, it's very difficult to find. There's a
1: focused effort. You can tell to sort of maintain the status quo, like to keep yeah. the story out there that, Hey, this thing's <laughs> been destroyed. No need to go up there. Like it's gone. And then yeah. when we literally went up there and found it, people didn't want that information getting out.
2: Well, it's like, it, it hurts the narrative, but yeah, the thing that I think people need to know here today is that Jesus is King. That's right. And um, he is putting all of his enemies under his feet and he will he will sit at the right hand of the father and he will sit there and he will rule and he will he will reign until the very last enemy is put under his feet. Mm-hmm. And um, that goes for these pagan gods. They're they're going under King Jesus's feet. So we may be living through a neo pagan revivalism right now, but ultimately at the end of the day, um, we know how this this pattern goes uh, paganism mm-hmm. was footstooled once before. It'll get footstooled once again as well. Yeah. And we get to participate in that. And one of the ways that we participate in this in a very important way that a lot of people I don't think realize is by telling these stories. Right. Is by telling these stories and preserving. And, and that's one of the things that conservatism is. Like mm-hmm. conservatism has the word conserve in it. Like we right. are conserving something, we are we are preserving something um, and we're preserving it so that we can pass that on. And it's no wonder, I think, that a lot of people don't know who they are. They don't know about their land because Mm -hmm. there seems to be just an effort to not preserve those kinds of things. But if there's one thing that I can say, And I'm not saying this to toot our own horn because God knows I don't, I don't, I'm not a, a fan of that thing. If there's one thing that I think that Sword and Staff has raised an awareness of, it's, it is that um, you're, the place that you live and the, the story of that place is very important. Yeah. Um, because whether you like it or not, the land and the people who are there before you, um, those things shape a lot of the things there in the place that you're at, and you may not even know it. You may not even know that the place that you were living in at one po- point was a desecrated space where the gods of old used to inhabit it. Um, and that's got a lot of spiritual ramifications to it and a lot of spiritual yeah. consequences to it. And that's why it's important to become a, one of the things that I was told whenever I was, a, first became a pastor and I was planning our church, um, and this was by a lot of the guys in Acts 29 was that I needed to basically become a historian of mm-hmm. where I lived. I needed to become a student of it. I needed to become somebody who um, was familiar with the stories and was able to pass those on to people. And I feel like that, that was a piece of advice that really served me well. And I think that having that kind of access to these stories and the resources that we do and that kind of stuff, it's, uh, it's really helped a lot of people come to, to understand um, where they live a lot better and why things may be the way that they are and what to do about it. And it, it yeah. gives a lot of meaning that was not previously there because a lot of people just view life as, it's this vacuous thing. I'm just a person who just so happened to be born in this place and, you know, whatever. There's no meaning to it all, but no, there, mm-hmm. there is. There's, there's great meaning to it. And so we need to all become students of this kind of thing and even the very place where you live right now if you're listening it probably has its own little secret history to it as well that yep. people have forgotten about and it's and it's important to to recover that um this this plays a part in reenchantment as a whole so
0: yeah yeah you're talking about you know you don't know how much you know how important where you're born who you're born to mm-hmm. all of those things yeah. really are important that's yeah. one of the things that You know we've been i've been having conversations lately a a lot about you know just you know spoiler alert to everybody who's listening who isn't this and you know we can we can still be friends but i'm a calvinist um (laughs) but thinking about predestinate predestination it's not just that god uh you know ordains the ends you know it's not just that but the means i will be a follower but the means right yep and those means go beyond just the things that we typically think about those means go into you know who you are your makeup the heritage behind you you know i would not be the person that i am you know save for the experiences of my parents um my grandparents my grandparents were missionaries in africa for the majority of my life Uh, (laughs) um And growing up, and you know my papa had all kinds of stories when he was still alive about you know witch doctors and things like that, yeah, um and you know m- my mom had all kinds of experiences growing up, which I won't get into because this is all public, but <laughs> um yep, but you know those those sorts of things they they actually prepare you for the things you're about to experience, and you know it's true, you know it's even here in in our little town of you know Bonner Springs, we got weird stuff going on here, too. you know this we're worth two or three hours east of the line that Padilla dropped the cross on, right so <laughs> there's there's plenty of things that have happened here, and we fi- face all kinds of spiritual opposition here, you know, I mean, um I can't get into too many details about it, but you know, we've sure. had run-ins with a local Satanic grotto group that thinks they're not doing anything because they think they're atheists, but you don't poke, you don't poke the darkness without it poking back, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, And those things are, you know, I always think of, um, I always think of when people are like, oh, you know, it's harmless, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing going on there. There's nothing behind it. I always think of, um, in the chronicles of narnia because we got to get either tolkien or lewis in here right it's not Absolutely, for the staff yeah. if we're not going on. Right, yeah. um i always think of the last battle at the very end yeah. when you've got um these people i can't remember the guy's name but there's this one guy and he's like super loyal to tash their their god the god of the calormans and you know he goes into this tent expecting for tash to not be there because you know he knows that tash isn't real at this point and you know everybody's just expecting he's going to go into this tent to meet tash and there's going to be nobody there but then they're shocked because tash actually is there and tash is real <laughs> you know yeah, um, yeah. and i think that that's how a lot of people you know they don't realize that so much of this stuff is real uh, you know they're there is this real spiritual reality um and you shouldn't be meddling with it you know it's, it's you if you're going to be at, especially as a Christian if you're going to be you know dealing with those things you should be preparing to go to battle because that's what it's going to be for you um if you step across that threshold you yeah. know to use more enchanted language so yeah.
2: well I mean We've said, if we've not said it, uh, you know, a hundred times, we've not said it at all. Um, the reason why God forbids a lot of the things that he does like necromancy and divination and all of those types of things. And, you know, throughout the scriptures and sorcery is not because there's not a danger in it, but because there is that stuff works. There is real, there is somebody on the other end and Richie's life is a testimony to that. I mean, he dabbled in that for a very, very long time. And so God tells us not to do it for a reason. And he tells us to to put on the whole armor of God for a reason. It's because we we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the principalities and, you know, spiritual forces and in dark places, you know, Um, we are in a fight, whether you want to acknowledge that or not. So. Um, you need to you need to prepare yourself for that. Yeah, but, I, I remember even being a pagan and telling that to Christians, I was like, <laughs> you,
1: that would say, you know, all the stuff you're involved in, it's not real. I was like, do you understand that God in the Bible forbids those practices because they are a real threat, a real danger for the <laughs> whole thing? Like, even as a pagan, I understood that. I was on the wrong side of the the field there, but I understood like that there was a recognition in Christianity that, hey, these things were very real. Yep. Yep. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, Coleman, thank you so much for coming on to this week's edition of the Sword and Staff. Uh, Before we sign off, go ahead and tell people where they can uh, follow you at uh, if they want to keep up with you and some of the stuff you're doing. I know you mentioned some of it earlier, but I'll give you an opportunity to do that again in case they're wanting to follow you on Twitter and the stuff that you're doing. So go (laughs) ahead and throw that out there.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the best place is the discord, of course. So I'm going to give sword and staff a plug. So if you're not in the discord, get there because that's where the memes really fly. Um, I do post a lot of memes on For the Twitter. Sp-
2: the spice flows there. That's
0: yeah. right. The spice flows there. Nice. Um <laughs> that's a Dune reference.
2: Uh, yeah, that's what I was um, wasn't expecting to get into Dune, but here we are. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh man. Well, I didn't even get into half of the stuff that I had. So <laughs> so we've got we got, you know, maybe there's an uncut somewhere later. But yeah. Um yeah. but uh But anyways, yeah, uh on Twitter, my handle is Footstooled. That's where I do my you know spicy post mill stuff and you know post memes there as well. Um I'm on Facebook, you can always add me as a friend. Um if you're listening to this podcast, we're probably running around in similar groups already. Yeah. Um (laughs) and then um yeah, I think that's I think that's about it. So thanks for having me on.
2: Yeah, no problem at all. It's our pleasure. And Uh, I know you've got a little bit of time still yet, so we will do an uncut section at the end of this. So if you want to keep on uh, with uh, what Coleman is presenting here and you're interested in that, uh, you need to head on over to our Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash sword and staff order for just $5 a month. You can get the sword and staff uncut. Uh, You get you get uh, conversations like what we're going to have here today and uh, you get all kinds of, of bonus content. We drop podcasts there sooner than we do everywhere else. Um, which we're actually going to be revamping the schedule uh, for dropping podcast in 2023. We're going to start releasing Patreon content on Thursdays, dropping it everywhere else on Friday. That way, we've got a little bit of a bigger gap between the patrons and everybody else. We've got some other content coming too. We're going to be cranking out some more episodes. Um, we're going to be giving patrons. Like Coleman, the opportunity to come on, chat with us, uh, have conversations, and um, you need to become a patron for that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I I just can't express that enough. But, yeah, we've got some changes coming here in 2023. So, also, you can keep up with us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, all that, at Sword and Staff Order. Also, we have a website, www.swordandstaff.net um we've got some blog posts on there um also if you want to be a guest contributor to write blogs for sword and staff get a hold of us we can work that out Um, because we we we're planning on posting more blog content on there and putting more stuff on there in the future um also if you're wanting a link to our discord there is a link open there on our website it should be up in the top i think it's the right hand corner of the page you should be able to go there and get straight into our discord server um And uh, I think that's about it. Richie, do we got anything else? Not that I can think of. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's edition of The Sword and Staff. And we'll see you next week. And if you're a patron, we'll see you on the other side of this conversation. See you then. See ya.